0: begin with prayer, and then we will jump in uh, to the study. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, Lord, for who you are, Lord, and what you've done for us. We thank you for your Son, Lord, and that we have salvation through Christ, Lord, and we have the ability to study your Word with your help by your Spirit, Lord. Um, I pray that we will be sensitive to what your Word tells us, And we will uh, remain faithful, Lord, and grow in our faithfulness towards you, Lord, as we uh, study more of your word. Lord, we love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so tonight we are talking about Acts, one book, the book of Acts. Uh, So we've talked about the Gospels, how to interpret the Gospels. We talked about how to interpret the Epistles, the letters. Uh, And now we are on on Acts. Uh, Next week we will be talking about Revelation. So that's going to be a little bit tricky. How to interpret Revelation with all that going on. But that will be for next week. Uh, So today is a little bit easier than next week. Uh, but it's on Acts. So, Acts is a fun book. It's where we see a lot of just obviously the early church. It's the history of the early church and how the church began at Pentecost. Um, so, it's an incredibly important book. Unlike the Gospels, right? We have several accounts of Christ's life um, with all the Gospels, uh, but we only have one book like this with Acts. So, we don't have several accounts, uh, but we have only one here. Uh, So, let's begin by looking at your note sheet, right? The first section is the interpretive challenges with the book of Acts. Uh, Also, just so you know, this front end of tonight is going to be just a lot of information, Uh, but then more of the dialogue and discussion and practice will come the second half of this note sheet, just so you know what's going to be happening. Uh, So, the interpretive challenges of the book of Acts, there are several, uh, many of these aren't necessarily unique to the book of Acts. They may be common with other genres, other books in the Bible. And you can see here's a list of different questions that you should be wrestling through when you come to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So one of the questions you could ask yourself is, how does Acts relate to the Gospel of Luke? Why is that question specifically asking how does it relate to the Gospel of Luke specifically? Does anyone know? Yes. Yeah, so Luke wrote Acts. Um, and so we'll look at it um, in a little bit, the next section, actually, how Acts is kind of like a part two of the Gospel of Luke. Um, many people think that they were originally, um, when they were originally written, was seen as one book, and it was would be circulated through the churches as one book. So how does the book... or the book of Acts relate to the gospel of Luke. That's a question worthy of discussion. Another one is, is Acts merely a record of what happened? So is it just plain history? Or, is it, or does it also promote the Christian belief about God, theology? So this is an interesting question, is how does theology relate to history? When you look at a narrative, a historical narrative, Um, specifically one that's in Scripture, right? What is God teaching us through this historical account? We will get more into that a little bit later as well. Why did Luke write Acts? And how does this message relate to us? So what's his purpose in writing this? Obviously, that's one of the main things we want to get at in the very beginning when we first study any passage, any book, is what's the purpose of it, and then, go all the way to the end, and how do we apply this, right? How does it relate to us? It's crossing that principalizing bridge that we've been talking about this whole semester, right? Seeing the town in, in their context and then crossing the river into our context. Uh, next question, how did Luke organize Acts? There's a nice outline uh, chart in your note sheet that we will briefly get to that shows the organization of it. Uh, and then last question on your note sheet here is, should we take acts as normative or descriptive? Um, that's going to be a huge discussion as well near the end of this this um, study tonight. normative as in when we look at how we are supposed to establish a church here now today, right what is the doctrine of the church what who um, what are the offices of the church, like elder, deacon, those sort of things? How is the church supposed to be, be, be established? Uh, we go to the book of Acts to see a lot of that, and then also different pastoral epistles. Uh, but the question is, when we see in the book of Acts, is that the way it's supposed to be? Is it prescriptive, or is it just descriptive? Is it just describing the way they did it, but it's not necessarily the way it's um, intended to be, as it's not commanded necessarily to be done this specific way. So we'll be talking a little bit about that, and that's what this last question is kind of getting at. Um, So you could see then, next section, Luke plus Acts is one story, or one story, um, both written to Theophilus, and you could see he's addressed in the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. We don't really know who he is, Right? It was, Theophilus was probably a new believer of high social standing who may have given Luke the money to publish these two books. Um, so, again, there's not a whole lot of information on him. Uh, and then the end of Luke overlaps with the beginning of Acts. So when you see them as kind of one story, one book, it's just a continuation of what happens next. Um, it's interesting comparing like the end of the gospel with the beginning of um, Acts and seeing how they overlap. They overlap quite a bit uh, with the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission is not just at the end of Matthew, but it's also at the end of Luke, and then it's the beginning of Acts. So that's an overlap there. You see the ascension of Christ. That's an overlap there. So it's interesting with comparing the different details and why Luke. Um, gave different details at the end of the Gospel of Luke and then different details in the beginning of Acts and how they relate to each other. Uh, This box here on your note sheet, I tried to pull out passages that show the overlap and how they connect, but really, it's so much more. Uh, You read the entire last chapter of the book of Luke, Um, of the Gospel of Luke, and then the first two chapters of the book of Acts, and you see there's so much overlapping here and how they connect. Um, So look at the box where it says Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and then skipping over to verse 51 through 52, it says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. This is Christ speaking. Uh, I'm Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? So stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit is what he's saying. Then skipping down a verse, uh, two verses, it says then, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So he, they returned back to Jerusalem, Uh, where Christ told them to wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. So we see the ascension there. Uh, And then we see the ascension again, like I said, in the beginning of Acts, but I don't have that verse necessarily in the box here. Uh, In the verses here, you see it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem, so it's showing that part again, from the mount um, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's journey away. And suddenly, there there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it was filled, and filled the entire house where they were sitting. So then, this is when Pentecost happens, right? Um, When they they did receive the Holy Spirit. So they went back to Jerusalem and they waited, and then this is now part two, starting what happens next, right? And we see a lot happens in the in in the book of Acts. So, how is the book organized? Uh, hopefully, by the end of tonight also, you will see why it's important for us to understand why the book is organized the way it is in order for us to understand the meaning properly. When you come to the text, uh, a text in the book of Acts, uh, the organization and knowing where you're at and the way Luke is trying to organize the book uh, to get his message across makes a uh, but how is this organized? Many of you all um, might know that Acts 1.8 is kind of the, a nice outline of this whole book. And this is uh, the Great Commission as well. Christ is speaking here. And this is why I have this on your note sheet. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Right, so the Holy Spirit is coming for a specific purpose uh, so that we may share the gospel, uh, share what happened to Christ and what Christ has done for us on the cross. Uh, remember, they're supposed to start in Jerusalem, wait there until they receive the Spirit, and then the kingdom of God is just going to expand. And we see that expansion throughout the book of Acts. So it's it's really cool. So we have those three parts, Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. Um, so you could see on the next page, on page two, I got this uh, chart from the Grasping God's Word uh, book. You could see on page 298, yeah, I have that on the bottom there. Uh, I thought this was very helpful, where you could see on the location column, you have the different locations, Um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Uh, following the outline that Acts 1.8 gives us. You see the Christian mission to Jews first, and you see that by chapter. (coughs) Chapters 1 through 12 specifically, And then it continues on to then the Gentile world. Um, So, like I said, it's helpful knowing the outline of the book uh, in order to know, to help us understand how to interpret uh, the book. So, the next two, right underneath the chart, you could see uh, two lines to fill in the blanks. Uh, So let's fill in the blanks. Peter was the leading figure in the link. And then Paul was the leading figure in the link. Does anyone have any guesses of what goes in those lines? I think Peter was the one
1: that was preaching when all the old souls were run when the fires came down
0: and everything. So mm-hmm. that wasn't he was preaching. So Peter was a mage, main preacher, Right. Uh, in the beginning, so that's important. Uh, so this relates to the chart right above it to help um, help us fill in the blank. So Peter was a leading figure in preaching the gospel to, does anyone know, to, who was he a main figure preaching the gospel to?
2: Jews. The Jews, right?
0: So you see him a lot uh, in chapters 1 through 12. Um, not saying he's absent from the other chapters, but he's a main figure there, preaching the gospel, bringing the gospel to the Jews, right? And then Paul is an apostle for then the Gentiles, right? And so then he goes to the Gentile world and preaches the gospel. Um, and so that's why in chapter 13, in the second half of the book of uh, Acts, you see then Paul's first missionary journey going out into the different regions in the Roman Empire, uh, starting with the Galatia territory um, during his first missionary journey. And then eventually he tries to get to Spain, uh, as we know. So this is the brief outline uh, of the book. So now let's get to the interpreting part of it. Right, where there will be a lot of discussion, and we have plenty of time for that, so that's good. Uh, so, grasping the message in Acts. Uh, the question is, on your note sheet, what makes interpreting Acts, in a way, more difficult than interpreting the Gospels? Um, it's kind of open-ended uh, with this, the way this question is laid out. I am looking for a specific type of answer, though, so I want to see if we could get to it. But there could be several right answers still, the way this question is laid out. So, first question to you all. Based on your experience, do you think it's easier or more difficult or really the same in interpreting the book of Acts versus the Gospels? Based on your guys' experience, what do you guys think?
1: I would say it was harder. You always so thought
0: it was the, harder. The
1: Gospels all give you most of Jesus' activities. And Acts sort of gives you the activities of those who are followers who are trying to get to Christ, and, like Peter and Paul and, and others. So there's a lot more going on with the, with the Apostles mm-hmm. and everything and most of what's going on in the, especially John, is about Jesus. Matthew 2 all of them, but this one well, is really about all. It's work after Jesus has gone
0: to heaven. Yeah. So you're saying the Book of Acts is more difficult, is what you're saying, than the Gospels? You think in interpreting, for you, because there's well, more going on.
1: Not always. It, it's clear to me pretty much for I me, mean. not always, but some. But it's different people, and not Jesus. And when you about Jesus, you hear a lot of the same things in each of the Gospels sure. from Jesus yeah
0: So, so since there's several it? accounts, yeah. it helps uh, bring out the picture a little bit more a, a more of a holistic a story of what's going on when you put them together and you put the pieces together. Um, obviously this question is is also written um, in a way that uh, suggests acts is more difficult, and you may not think acts is more difficult, and that's fine too. I'm not saying it's objectively more difficult. Uh, but I want to demonstrate why I think it is. What are some other thoughts? Based on your guys' experience, what is more difficult or is, are they the same?
3: Acts tends just to be a description of the story of what happened. It versus in the Gospels, there's lessons, and Jesus is, explains why that lesson is important okay, type well, thing. It's important. And so we're going to talk about that a little like if bit. if you read Kings, you're like, okay, when am, when am I supposed to take out of it? You know, I'm reading the story about these kings. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anyone else? So i want to suggest that Acts is more difficult in interpretation, to interpret, I should say, uh, than the Gospels, uh, because... Uh, we don't see, put ourselves in the story of the Gospels in the same way that we do when we read Acts. Uh, Let me explain that a little bit more. Uh, So when we read um, Jesus uh, walking on water, the story of Jesus walking on water in the Gospels, um, and... uh, he calls out uh, for Peter to step out on the water, or he asks, well, step out on the water. We, we, what was that? Didn't
3: Peter start the conversation?
0: Yeah, so when Peter started the conversation, we don't come to that text and say, all right, the way I should apply this then is I should now step out on the water with Jesus. Simply, we don't apply it that way because Jesus isn't physically with us. Right? So we don't put ourselves um, into the stories uh, in the Gospels the same way that we do with the book of Acts, because now we are living in the same church age that the book of Acts is written in, right? We are doing the same thing the um, earliest missionaries are doing in going out and preaching the gospel. It's the same mandate, is what I'm trying to say, as uh, what uh, the book of Acts is presenting. Uh, so the gospels, in, in the Gospels, we read that Jesus and his original disciples, without ever, once, uh, without ever once thinking that we will be in the same situation. So that's what I'm trying to say. We will never get into the boats with Jesus to cross the sea or to walk with him. Through the streets in Jerusalem. Um, So the next question kind of builds off of this question uh, on page two. Is the book of Acts then, we're getting back to this, is this normative or descriptive in nature? So this is kind of getting back to what Lonnie said. Lonnie was saying that the book of Acts is descriptive, right? It explains what happened. It's history, and that is true. Uh, So then, when we come to interpret the book of Acts, how do we know what we are supposed to pull out as commands or as uh, prescriptive rules in how we are supposed to run the church, what the church is supposed to look like, or are these just descriptions in what the early church looked like, but doesn't necessarily have to look like that today. Um, so that's the question, and that's very difficult to answer. Uh, does everyone follow with what that question is asking on the, the last question, page two? I always have a way of making it somewhat more difficult than it needs to be. So is the Book of Acts normative, as in is it? So when we see baptisms, for example, all throughout the Book of Acts, um, does it have? Is it, Are those baptisms showing how it's supposed to normally be done in a prescriptive way, saying this is how you baptize people, or is it simply just describing? Um, so are we supposed to pull out theological truth? In its teaching, or are we just learning about history?
1: Don't we baptize for the same reason.
0: Yeah. The same reason.
1: They didn't did have baptism like we have here, but they had rivers. And there's still people being baptized in rivers.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's, it's the same. It seems to me that most of what we do is based on how we learn from the here. Wouldn't that be the way to burn, and the way yeah. to preach, and the way to try to win souls?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the mission is the same, right? Uh, it might help when we get to some examples, right, uh, which would be on the next page. So you could see a little bit of what we're talking about. Uh, so there are, I have on here, four helpful guides to determine the difference between normative and descriptive. So because what I will suggest for the answer to the question on the bottom of page two, is the book of Acts normative or descriptive in nature? I would say it's both, right? Some parts are prescriptive or normative, and some parts are descriptive. Some parts of the book of Acts is telling us how we should run the church, how we should preach, and some parts are simply just describing what they did. So how do we know the difference is really the question we have to get at. Uh, if it is both, it 's not an easy 100 percent one or 100 uh, percent the other. it 's not 100 percent normative or 100 percent descriptive. right? If the book of Acts was fully, fully only descriptive, what would be the point of us even reading it as Christians? The point maybe just to learn history, but it would have no bearing on our lives if it was fully just descriptive. See what I mean? But if we say it is normative in telling us how we should act as believers, then we need to be able to pull out those theological truths. Um, so helpful guides to determine the difference between the normative and descriptive uh, components or passages in the book of Acts. Uh, first, a helpful guideline is look at what Luke intended to communicate to his readers. So um, that should be obvious, right? That's where we always want to start. What did the original author mean when he wrote what he said? So the question is, what is the main purpose of the passage? Here's a good quote from the book I was looking at as I was preparing this that I think is helpful. The intent of the author should take precedence over our own curiosity when looking for what is normative in Acts. There are many times we're reading a passage and it might mention something that is interesting to us that's just a description about something that's not what the book is intended or the passage is intending to even talk about. And so sometimes we could get distracted talking about this because we're curious, whatever it may be. right? So we need to know what the intent of the author is in communicating what he's trying to communicate in order to uh, understand what is are normative in the Book of Acts. So, everyone, turn to Acts chapter eight. Um, Acts chapter eight, and we will look at this as an example. We'll read through this entire chapter together and talk about it. All right. So, I'm going to ask for some volunteers to read to read some of this. Um. Is anyone able to read verse 1 through uh, verse 13? 1 through 13. All right, Elizabeth. And then who wants to pick up verse 14 through 25? 14 through 25. All right, Tom. And then 26... Through 40. We'll do the rest of the chapter there. Alright, thanks, Michael. Alright, so let's read all this and then let's take some time in talking about it and figuring out what's the best way to interpret this passage and what the main meaning is in this chapter. Alright. And
4: Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said to Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great.
2: Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could acquire the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart will be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of unrighteousness. But Simon answered and said, "Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon may come upon me."
5: Yeah, one more verse. One more.
2: Yeah. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They started back to Jerusalem, and they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans.
5: Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, and a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Then Philip opened his mouth, and began with the scripture, he told him about the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up, Out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Hazitus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to uh, Caesarea.
0: All right. Thank you very much.
5: So, there's a
0: lot happening in this chapter. Acts chapter 8 uh, was the chapter we just read. Uh, And... I mean, there's a lot of, of detail. Uh, so, if you look back at the chart that you have on page two, this is chapter uh, eight, and you can see it's Philip the evangelist is uh, the one preaching the gospel uh, throughout um, this area. And remember Acts chapter one, verse eight, where we see the gospel starting in Jerusalem and then it expands. Uh, a little bit more, and then uh, later on, it's going to expand to the ends of the world, uh, to the ends of the earth, with Paul to the Gentiles. Uh, So, if you guys were looking through this as we are, uh, what would you guys say are some of the main ideas? What's the main purpose in Luke writing this specific chapter? What's been pulled out Uh, here. What are some of the main ideas? You can't buy faith. Okay, you can't buy faith. (laughs) Um, Look at how the book is outlined, right? Knowing um, kind of the thesis in a way, Acts 1-8, what is Luke trying to show uh, throughout this chapter? Yes? Yes? Yes. is
1: he trying to show Theophilus what Christianity is and who Christ was, and how to proceed and how to receive Christ and all the different things that he wants him to know? Yeah. And there's so much going on in Acts of all the different people they run, and it just amazes me when you read it, mm. and it's still going on. But I'm yeah, thinking.
0: yeah, and and so you're you're completely right. Uh, the answer I'm trying to uh, get us to uh, is showing, Luke here is showing how the gospel is expanding. Right? Uh, these are some of the very first uh, places outside of Jerusalem that are actually receiving the gospel. Um, the gospel is being preached, and now it's reaching Judea and Samaria. Uh, we see this in the very beginning in verse 1. Uh, that they're being scattered with persecution, uh, persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So we see expansion starting to happen, and because of this expansion, or because of the scatteredness, uh, it's continuing on, the gospel is continuing on being preached in these areas. And so now we see Philip actually preaching the gospel in these regions outside of Jerusalem. So it's the idea that the gospel is being um, expanded. Uh, and uh, we see that with these stories going on, right? With, with Simon uh, here, and then also then with the Ethiopian eunuch. It's, it's expanding beyond just Jerusalem, right? Uh, so question here under example Acts 8, what are not the main reasons Luke wrote This chapter. Remember the quotes I have of Duval and Hayes right above. The intents of the author should take precedence over our own curiosity when looking at what is normative in in Acts. When we want to understand and look at what are some lessons that we should be pulling out and applying for us today, we shouldn't necessarily be going to uh, some of the details, which are important. Uh, such as the main idea for example is not what is the nature of sor- sorcery right that's not the main purpose of this chapter even though it talks about it uh, in this in this book in this chapter I should say right in verse 11 and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic um, the intent is to show that the gospel is uh, going to these outer regions, right? It's not intended to show the nature of sorcery. That's an example. Uh, so that's something you can write down. Uh, another example that could be fun to discuss, but it's not the intent of the passage, is uh, the timing of the Spirit and coming upon believers. Uh, because when you read this, right, they're not receiving the Holy Spirit right away when they Uh, profess Christ. Uh, It's many times when people, when the apostles would lay hands on on them, right? That's when they would receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, So that's worth talking about, but that's not the intent either of this chapter, right? So that's kind of what I want us to see. Uh, And also what's interesting here, uh, Simon, right? In verse 13, it says, and Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. So Simon, this person who practiced magic, right, uh, believed and was baptized, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And then later on in this chapter, you kind of wonder, wait, did he actually give his life to the Lord? Uh, Because then we see him being confused here uh, and saying he wants to buy the Spirit, right? And uh, in verse 20, and Peter said to him, uh, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with with money. So it's worth talking about, but it's not the main idea of this chapter to say, to discuss whether you could lose your salvation. Um, There's better passages to go to to have those types of discussions, uh, but, right, this is why I want to show that uh, based on our own curiosity with some of these details which are important, that's not, um, that does not mean we should look at those and take, have those take precedence over what the author intended to communicate in this chapter, right? What did Luke intend to communicate is what we should always be asking. Uh, and I would propose he's intending to communicate to show how the gospel is expanding, because we see that's how he laid out his entire book. Right? And so there's a fine line we need to walk there and not just dismiss things and say, well, they're just not the purpose. Right? Detail is important. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not saying that. Uh, but we don't want to uh, just go down rabbit trails, which, which are not intended to go down either. But didn't the
3: author intend something? With the particular details that he is providing,
0: yeah, a lot of times. Uh, but that's why we need to ask, I mean, though, what is the Because you're saying the intent
3: purpose? is the big thing. Yeah. But did he have any intent in the small part?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a good question, and we should be asking that question as we read through it, right? When, whenever, maybe you're telling a story, you add details. Some details are important that some details are just descriptive. And that's what we're trying to get at, right? Are these details just descriptive? Or is he using these details to show us what's prescriptive, to show us what, how we should be living, what we should glean from the text now in order uh, to help us grow as believers? So that's, that's the struggle. To help us
1: know what's true and what's not, mm-hmm. to discern the truth. Like, it had to do
0: with him yeah
3: so the question is what details help
0: us with that are do all the details or are some details just descriptive of what's happening and what was like
3: but we have talking. to also be careful to interpret the details on a VR bias mm-hmm. you know as a Baptist we're saying, well of course it's not loss of faith because our bias is that's we have a theological conviction. Conviction that somewhere else it says this, but so therefore we will ignore this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, uh, we believe you get the Holy Spirit on on accepting Christ, but this, even though this one shows that they got it when the apostles laid hands on him, that goes against our bias that, you know, this doctrine that we've held. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, So some of these things, right, I would say are not normative, as in it's not normally this, case, this way. Things don't normally happen this way, such as the laying in hands. What's normative is people receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. We see that. Um, so that's why it's important, right? There's a difference between what's normative and how, what we should glean from the things that are normative in order to form our theology, and versus just what's descriptive. And that's what's that's what's tricky in determining the difference sometimes in these chapters. So, uh, so we said a couple things uh, that are not the main reasons uh, Luke wrote this chapter. Uh, next question is: What are the main reasons Luke did then write this chapter? What are the main reasons Luke wrote this chapter? Uh, we kind of already talked all about this, right? Um, you could write something like that the gospel began to leave the exclusively Jewish territory, right? Philip's message is received by a Samaritan and then by a eunuch, um, both who had been considered ritually unclean by Orthodox Jews, right? So we see the expansion of the gospel, um, And we see that as being one of the main reasons Luke wrote this based on how uh, we see how he outlined the book, right? As I had said earlier. All right. Uh, There is a lot there. Are there any questions or comments on what was just discussed? Do you guys see the importance of this, right? This is really important to determine what's just descriptive or what's and what should be normative for us as a church today based on the details in this. Because Acts is one of the main books we go to to set up the way we do church. How do we know we are being faithful believers by gathering together, doing church government the way we do it? Um, we go to the book of Acts for that, right? But there's a lot of details we don't necessarily uh, glean to, and others we do. So, what makes the difference? That's all part of the process in interpreting the book of Acts.
1: Is also part of, of current and the way we live now, as, well, as opposed to where they lived then. There would be some differences, in that would.
0: Yeah. So, like, we have to. We have to. Um, bring in, like, cultural context, right? Uh, what was their world like that's different from our world today, right? And that's part of measuring the width of the river in order to create the principalizing bridge that we've talked about. Uh, so that's all part of it, and that's why this is tricky. Like, um, an, an example is uh, with the water baptism here, right? We, a lot of times we go to this passage and as Baptists and say, see... Uh, they, uh, it looks like at least um, that he would the eunuch would have been submerged. Um, maybe we can't fully go there, but you could say, "Well, see, you baptize after someone professed faith. You so don't baptize infants, so you go to a passage like this or that, and we we do that as Baptists, and I think rightly so. Uh, but then another thing we don't necessarily go to that some uh, m- more people from more of the Pentecostal tradition might go to and say, well, see, once you receive the Holy Spirit, you start speaking in tongues and you start healing and you start doing miracles uh, in order to advance the gospel. We don't go there as Baptists and we would say, well, that's descriptive. Uh, so, you could see why it's difficult. What details are we supposed to take and which details are we just supposed to see as um, describing the story and what happened exclusively uh, during that time. So, so that's all. Remember, we're under helpful guidelines to determine the difference between normative and descriptive. We looked at just the first one. Look at what the author intended to communicate to his readers. We saw Acts 8 as an example that Luke intended to communicate that the gospel was expanding. That's the main idea. You could talk about the smaller things. That's fair, but the main idea, the gospel is expanding. Uh, second, look for positive and negative examples in the characters of, of the story. So um, a good rule of thumb for us as believers is uh, you see what the believers are doing in the early church, in the book of Acts, and you do the same thing, right? Uh, that's an oversimplified answer because then the question becomes, well, what about the sign gifts again, as I had mentioned? Uh, Are we supposed to uh, start speaking in tongues? Are we supposed to start healing the sick the same way these Christians were in the book of Acts? So the question here, are the sign gifts of the Spirit normative or descriptive? Uh, First off, let's identify what sign gifts are. What do I mean by sign gifts? Uh, sign gifts are a distinct group of the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are more of the, the physical manifestation of speaking in tongues, healing, prophecy, uh, those sort of things, which we would say are maybe are more um, expressive in manner. And the spiritual gifts at large, include those, but then also our um, gift of preaching, gift of hospitality, um, and those other other things as well. So we're talking right now about the sign gifts, right? We see a lot of these wonderful things happening when people receive the Holy Spirit. So how do we know whether they're intended to be Normative, and if they are, then we should be practicing them. Or simply, how do we know they're just supposed to be descriptive, and that's what was happening then? Um, but we don't need to do it since it's not. It's not normative. Um, what What do you guys think? I guess
4: it's that since we don't see it every single time, that it is just. Descriptive and not normative. Like the Ethiopian eunuch did not all of a sudden speak in tongues when he believed. He wanted to be baptized.
1: Yeah.
0: So <clears throat> it's just descriptive.
1: Yeah. Years ago, when I came into Christian, my pastor there, uh, someone had wanted him to start tongues yeah. in our church. And he said it was no longer applicable. And because it's a waste of time if no one can interpret. Mm-hmm. In most yeah. cases, no one can interpret. Yeah. So we never did, but some essentially in the church for a while. <clears throat>
0: yeah. Any other thoughts? I think you guys are right. Um, uh, I think, yeah, the fact that we see it not happening all the time suggests and shows that it's not something we should be expecting, and therefore, it's not normative. Uh, it happened for sure, and we have to say it happened because, I mean, we have biblical account for it happening. Um, it's a whole different discussion, and we're not going to go down this discussion of whether it still happens today, if there's still room for that, or if these sign gifts were simply in place to lay the foundation of the church. Uh, and if they've fully ceased or not. Uh, that's, that's a further discussion that we discussed a little bit last semester with Pastor Jason, with the Holy Spirit. Um, but, I mean, that's just an example of the different things that we need to work through in the book of Acts to know what we should be taking from it in order to instruct us as Christians and how we should be living as, as Christians. Uh, three, look to other parts of Acts to clarify what is normative. So this is kind of going back to the, the point Chris made, in, in a sense. Uh, compare, uh, compare the text with other te- parts of the text in the book of Acts, right? Um, those... Receiving the signed gifts are they always receiving the sign gifts? No, right And we could do see that by comparing it to other parts of Acts so we know um, that it's not normative. So look to other parts of Acts to clarify what is normative. Uh, I want us to look at two passages here and this these passages are discussed a lot um, in when it comes to economics as as Christians and how we should. Um, live together as Christians, and so I want us to discuss them a little bit. So Acts chapter 2, and then Acts chapter 4 as well, and you can see the passages right on your note sheet. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through uh, 47. Uh, Does someone want to read this uh, passage for us? Michael? And then who wants to read Acts chapter 4? Verses 32 through 35. You got it? Alright, thanks Nancy. So, we'll start with Michael, and then Nancy could pick up right after Michael ends.
5: And And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved.
1: Now the company of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they made it at the apostles' feet, and the distribution was made to each
0: as any had need. All right, so we see this detail, right? And how the church lived together, right? They really didn't um, keep anything personally uh, of great value to just themselves, right? They sold um, their possessions, their expensive possessions, and put it into a big pot, right, in order to help um Their fellow believers and the gospel kept going out, right? And numbers were added to them, as what the text says. So, it doesn't appear they were even working. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Who wasn't working? Any of them. Yeah. It said they were just worshiping.
4: Because they did all things together, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And they went to the temple. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, those are some details to
3: look at, right? And
0: what, what's really going on in here? And we don't know exactly all the things that they were doing. Um, if It does seem like they were just worshiping and sharing the gospel uh, exclusively at that point. It not like it was like all just full-time missionaries at this point, right? So, with this, though, some Christians uh, would look at a passage like this, and would hold to that we need to share everything together that we own as a church uh, in order to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Elizabeth and I saw a show on, I forget what streaming platform it was, on this one uh, conservative Christian group in New Zealand, I think, uh, that they did this. And it was very interesting. And they lived in like dorm rooms and they shared, they had, they, had every meal in a large cafeteria together. All the women did all the cooking for everyone there. They did all the laundry for everyone there. It was all communal. Um, And it was uh, very (laughs) interesting, and it was weird for a lot of us, right, because we don't do this. Uh, But they were trying to, they saw texts like this in, in Acts, and they were applying them as them being normative, not just descriptive. So the question is, are these passages normative or descriptive? How do we know? Right? How do we know when we are trying to build the theological principle when interpreting passages like this? Well, I think obviously we all know that we would hold to these being descriptive because we don't live like this uh, right now. Um, but why? right? Okay, because we don't
3: have apostles. They put the money at the apostles' feet, so they had somebody who was the versus the Jim Joneses of the world who would probably, you know use that power inappropriately. Okay, so that that's a good thought. Right. We don't
0: have apostles today. Apostles have ceased. That office doesn't exist anymore. Um uh, point three, right? Or number three says, look to other pa- parts of Acts to clarify what is, is normative. I think the story uh, of Ananias and Sapphira in the very next chapter, in chapter five, shows that it's not normative because I think this passage shows that uh, Ananias did not need to give up his money, he did not need to sell his land. Uh, people were doing it, but he was killed, as we know in the story, because he lied about it. Right? Uh, he was trying to um, look a certain way to other believers uh, that was deceptive. And I think this passage shows that he didn't need to do this. It wasn't necessarily a requirement for early believers to do. So, uh, chapter 5... Uh, verses three and four says, "But Peter said, said, 'Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit?' So we see in the very beginning, it's about him lying, uh, and keep back for yourself parts of the proceeds from or of the land while it re- remained unsold. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own?" Right, so he's acknowledging that it remains your own uh, before you sold it. It's yours, and after it was sold, was it not your own at your own disposal? He had the option to do what he wanted to do with his with his money. It wasn't a requirement uh, to give all he had. Uh, why is it that you have um, contrived this deed in your heart that? And have you have not lied to me, but to God, right? And so then we know he he dies, and then his wife dies as well. Um, and so I think by comparing the passages that we read, read with other passages like this, it suggests that um, it wasn't necessarily mandatory. And
4: also, was, I don't remember what book it was, but the Lord's Supper was like a big problem because like people were coming in with. Full bellies, or you know, or eating like big things. Well, meanwhile, the slaves are coming in, and so the slaves the are still having their jobs, right? And they're still coming in, so they're not obviously they're not selling everything to be in, in this commune, you know, and just doing everything all together because mm-hmm. they're still slaves, they couldn't,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we could look to other passages like that potentially. I even though that's. that's specifically on communion, right? And they were getting drunk with wine, and there were some issues happening there. Uh, but comparing with other parts of Scripture, that helps us interpret passages like this, right? That we don't have to live in this way as believers. It was not normative. It was descriptive in what, what they were doing. Um, so, so I think that's that's helpful. And then lastly, number four, look for repeated patterns and themes, right? So, What are the repeated patterns and themes happening throughout the Book of Acts, Um, and we know then those are the ones that are important, right? Repeated pattern is it's that the Holy Spirit is working in us in order to proclaim the gospel. We see that because uh, Christ Himself told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit before they were able to go out and preach the gospel, right? And then we see it's the Holy Spirit you receive. Uh, when you uh, repent and believe and are baptized. So, so these are some of the themes we see, and those are the things that we know are important and the main purposes of the book. So look for the repeated patterns and, and themes throughout the book of Acts. Um, any final comments or questions? I mean, there's so much more details, obviously, we could talk about in other passages throughout the book of Acts that we could talk about as well, but um, hopefully the ones that we did look at were helpful examples. To determine what's normative and what's descriptive, and I think that's the main uh, struggle when it comes to the book of Acts um, and I think it's healthy for us to struggle through this together and for you individually uh, in order to us in, in order to help us understand um, God's word better so let me close out in prayer and then we will be dismissed. Lord, we love you. And again, we thank you for the time we have, Lord, to uh, learn more about you, Lord. Uh, and we pray that as we grow in our knowledge of you, Lord, our um, love for you will, will grow as well. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.